0: again. I'm so glad that uh, we're here. Man, I love that last song, singing about the wonderful grace of Jesus and how our debt is satisfied. If you have been made alive in Christ, that ought to ignite a certain gratitude and love and joy just wakes up in, in your heart to sing of the grace that has saved you. Amen. Well, we're going to continue this morning, uh, really kind of tie a bow around uh, this little three-week miniseries where we've been uh, called Healthy Church" and. We're working our way through Philippians chapter one. And what we've really been discovering over these last few weeks is what is a healthy church? What does it look like? What does a healthy church do? And so we looked in the first week at uh, the healthy church is made up of three offices, saints, deacons, and elders. And for the church to be healthy, all of those offices, those roles have to function within their biblical bounds, but also function together, cooperating together with one another to advance the mission. Of God, and then last week uh, Pastor Ben walked us through this idea that a healthy church is one that is uh, where the go- uh, that is filled with people who have experienced the gospel work of Christ, and that it is God who begins that work, sustains that work, and will ultimately complete that work. And that gospel work create because we all have experienced that. If you were in Christ, you've had a work of the gospel in you. And because that's true, there is a shared partnership that we have, again, to advance the mission of God. And this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes kind of unpacking um, the idea that a healthy church is a maturing church or a church that is becoming more and more spiritually mature. Now, I know that uh, a, a, a lot of times we have a tendency to bristle at the word mature because it's going to come with the implication that we aren't, right? And maybe when you hear that word, like me, all of a sudden the, uh, the voice of your older sister from your childhood comes roaring and screaming back into your life where you're being told how immature you go, so immature, right? Did anybody else grow up with an older sister? You know I pray for you often, I really do, because... I did too. And my older sister just, that was, that was her ladle of shame, right? That I just, uh, you just need to grow up, right? And so sometimes we hear that word mature and we, we pull back a little bit. Uh, but I, I want you to hear me this morning. We're going to level the ground and recognize none of us have arrived. None of us have arrived. And if you are a believer, there is room to grow in spiritual maturity. And here's how I would say that. Every day, every believer is either becoming more like Jesus or less like him. Every day, every believer is either growing up into Christ and growing up into Christ-likeness, or we are fading back from Christ-likeness. I do not believe there is anything There is no such thing as a stationary Christian. I simply don't believe that it exists. We are either growing up, maturing, or we are fading back. So what is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity, maturing in the faith, is the process where believers, guided by the Holy Spirit, become like Christ. So that internally, in the soul, in the mind, and and in the spirit, and externally, in our behaviors, in our Words And in our actions, we are being shaped into the character of Christ for the purposes of God. That So here's spiritual maturity. Spiritual, st- spiritual maturity, growing up in the faith, is the Holy Spirit-guided process of becoming more like Jesus for the purposes of God. That's maturity. It is being shaped into the character of Christ. And if spiritual maturity is the process... ...of becoming more like Jesus, then it becomes incredibly important for the health of the church. Because listen, a, a church is made up of believers, right? We looked in the first week, we're made up of saints. And if those saints are not being formed into the character of Christ, if they aren't growing up in the faith then while that church could have the largest budget and the best facilities and the most people and the coolest mission statement, if the people aren't growing into the character of Jesus, it's not a healthy church. Which is why you can have churches that thrive financially, thrive with facilities, but every few years they have to reinvent themselves because the people aren't growing up into the faith. And so this is about what does it look like As the people of God for us to be spiritually maturing, growing up in the faith. Because if we aren't being formed into the character of Jesus, listen, then we can't reflect the character of Jesus. You cannot reflect what you are not becoming is another way to say, you know, I both love and hate the mirrors in my house because the mirrors in my house are truth-tellers, right? When I step in front of the mirror, it does not lie about what I am and how I look and what my face looks like and the fact that there's less hair today than there was yesterday. It tells the truth every morning. Every morning I get up and I go, that's not great. That's not, this is all I got to present the world and it's not awesome, right? It's the truth. <laughs> the mirrors are truth-tellers in my life. Well, in that way, we are meant to be those truth-tellers that reflect the character and nature and transforming love of Jesus to the world, but we cannot reflect if we are not becoming, if we are not growing up into the faith. So a healthy church must be one that is made up of believers that are growing in their spiritual maturity, being formed into the character of Christ for the purpose of God, which is to reflect his glory to the world. That's what this is about. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 9. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 9. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll put the uh, scriptures on the screen. God's word says this, and it is my prayer that your love, this is Paul speaking to the church, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we just, we just pray again that the word that is alive would be alive in our hearts, that it would do a living work in us, that it would it would speak to those areas that are, that are not growing up into Christ-likeness. It would speak to those areas that are fading away and dying. God, that it would speak life. So in the truth of your word, in the challenge of your word, in the joy of it, in the life of it, in the encouragement from it, God, I pray you would just flood into our hearts and into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I think right in the first few words, that Paul speaks, he immediately speaks to spiritual maturity, right in the first few words. Look what he says, Paul says, and it is my prayer. And it is my prayer. In verse three and four, just a few verses before, he talks about how he prays for this church and every time he prays for them or remembers them, it is with gratitude and thanksgiving in his heart. And now in verse nine, he says again that he is praying for them, what's the point? Paul, Paul prayed for people. Paul prayed often. Prayer was a spiritual marker in his life. And this is, not, this is a whole separate sermon. It's not even a sermon point, but I couldn't get past it. And it's this. Nothing defines a person's spiritual life like the health of that person's prayer life. Nothing defines the health of your spiritual life. Nothing. Like the health of your prayer life. And we all are sitting in a very quiet room this morning because we're all trying to measure, what does my prayer life really look like, if that's true? How would, why, why would I say that? Because prayer is our spiritual breathing. You guys have heard me say that before. It's our spiritual breathing. It's our inhaling in the presence of God, exhaling in the presence of God. It is that um, inhaling with God that 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 breathing that grows us in our connection to Him and deepens our confidence in Him. And if it's okay for me to be bold for just a minute, I want you to hear me say that some of you may not be spiritually maturing because you aren't spiritually breathing. If you aren't if you are dissatisfied with the Christ-likeness that you see or do not see in your life, if you would have to be honest and say, I'm not growing up in the faith, I'm stuck in the same sin, the same thought patterns, the same fear, the same anxiety, the same defeat, the same lack of hope, the same absence of joy, all of those things, I see them in my life, then my question is, are you spiritually breathing? Are you inhaling the confidence and connection with God? Is it deepening your love for him, your dependence on him, and your satisfaction and delight in him? Are you spiritually breathing? So now you know what I'm about to talk about next. Every Wednesday night, we get in this room and we learn how to spiritually breathe. In New Beginnings, I want you to hear me say there is not one person in this room that does not need to grow in their prayer life and in their spiritual breathing. And if you know that you need to grow in this area, then receive this invitation again. Come into this room on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and let's breathe together. Let's inhale and exhale in the presence of God and grow that connection and deepen that confidence. Listen, before I join another Bible study, I need to learn how to breathe and pray. Before I try to manage my behavior so that I look godly, I need to learn how to spiritually breathe in prayer. Now, let's get on with the sermon that I actually wrote. All right. What I find interesting is... Paul is praying here, and in all the recorded prayers of Paul, we have a lot of his recorded prayers, we see the things that Paul prayed for, and did you know, rarely, if ever, do we see Paul pray for, like, physical things. He rarely pray, he doesn't pray for a bigger church, he doesn't pray for more money, we don't even really see Paul praying for his own personal needs, and it isn't that those things weren't important, it's that his prayers were always centered on the things that mattered most in the life of the church and the believers. So Paul was praying for their spiritual health. He was praying over their relationship with God. He prayed for their love for one another. He prayed for the the issues of the heart. And that's what we see this morning. Paul is praying for what matters most. He's praying for their spiritual maturity. So there are three markers that I want us to see uh, this morning. All of them kind of come out of this first one. But the three markers in the life of a mature believer and a healthy believer church. Three areas that we must be growing. Here's the first one. A mature church or a a healthy church is marked by abounding love. This is the first. Paul puts it first. Look again at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Paul sets the foundation of all spiritual maturity in this verse. Everything he says after this is born out of this abounding love. Everything. It comes from here. He, he sets this foundation of abounding love for us. Now, when you think of the word abounding, have this picture in your mind of overflowing, right? Imagine holding a cup, filling it up until it just spills out all over. That's the word abounding. And what we see here is everything that Paul prays after this is built on this, this idea of abounding love. And here's the hard truth that I kind of had to come to in my own heart this week, which was this. Spiritual maturity is not first about storing up more knowledge in my head, but abounding in the love of God that transforms who I am. Spiritual maturity is not first about how much information I can put in my head, but about the abounding love of God that is transforming who I am. Every person in this room, and you may be the person in this room, knows someone who has forgotten more about the Bible than you'll ever know, and yet they don't know how to love. Anybody know somebody like that? Very knowledgeable, head full of knowledge but they didn't know how to love. I can't look at that person and call them spiritually mature because Paul says maturity is based on abounding love. And I I gotta tell you for myself, and I think for the church, we have mismeasured what it means to be spiritually mature. I have most of my believing life mismeasured this because for my believing life, I've measured spiritual maturity in things like Bible knowledge, church attendance, Uh, 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 those sorts of things and it isn't that those don't matter of course they matter all of those things are important they're incredibly important but they aren't the first defining marker of a spiritually mature person all of those things knowledge, wisdom, discernment, faith, believing are all born in and sustained by something else and that is the abounding love of God and that's what Paul prays for the church I love this little word, love May your love abound more and more. The word Paul uses here is the most common word used in the New Testament. I bet you know what it is. There's different kinds of love. What kind of, this is the what? Starts with an A, say it. Agape Agape love. It's the most common word used in the New Testament for love. Here's why. Because it's also the highest form of love. Agape love is the highest form form of love. Agape means selfless. It means unconditional. This is a God kind of love. And to help us get our mind around this, I want you to, let's just sit with this word for a moment because there are other words used for love. There's phileo, brotherly love, right? There's different words, but let's let's just wrestle with this for a moment. Jesus used this word, agape, to describe in John 15 the love that exists between he and his father. It's an agape love, it is a God love. Jesus used this same word in John 3:16 to describe the love from him to us. For God so loved the world. Right? So it's between the father and the son. It's from the son from the Father to, through the Son to us. It's the same word that Jesus used in John 13 to describe how we should love one another. Agape love. Now, I'm on board with all of that, except in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus used the exact same word to describe how we should love our enemies. And I was like, well, I bail. I'm out. <laughs> I was on board with all of that before. It was amazing. But consider for a moment, that we have been we've been invited in to experience the love that exists between the heavenly father and the messiah his son jesus we are invited into that love it comes from the father through the son to us, from us, to one another, and out from here, even to our enemies. It ought to abound in our lives, and nothing remains untouched by the abounding love of God if we are walking in it and living in it and experiencing it. This is why Paul begins here. It's an agape love. Here's what I gotta tell you. This kind of love is not It it has nothing to do with how I feel. Are you with me? Emotion is not the driving force of agape love. Attraction is not involved in agape love. There is no romantic element to this. This agape love, the driving force of agape love, the driving force of this God kind of love is the love of God. It's the love of Jesus Seen on the cross, received through salvation, it's knowing the essence of God's love for us is his, um, his goodwill for us. It's his compassion and mercy and generosity toward us and it is his delight in us. And in receiving that goodwill, that compassion, that mercy, that delight in receiving those things, I find the means and understanding by which I can love others. Which means this. You cannot have agape love toward God or toward others and certainly not toward your enemies without the abounding love of Christ being poured into you and the character of Christ being raised up and maturing in you. How many of you would acknowledge, I've tried to love my enemies. It lasted eight seconds. Less time than a bull ride. I couldn't pull it off. I couldn't do it. Right? Why? Because agape love isn't about the effort of your flesh or trying to form a feeling or an attraction. It's none of, it is born out of what you have received. Which means this. You were loved when you were completely unlovable by God. You were deeply known and fully loved when you were absolutely living in wicked rebellion against him. And he loved you anyway. When you were the enemy of God, he gave agape to you. That is the fountain we pull from to love others and to love the world. This is why Paul sets it as the foundation of spiritual maturity. And in John 13, Jesus is helping his disciples understand this connection of spiritual maturity and godly love. I want you to see it. John 13, verse 34, Jesus says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Agape. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this... All people will know that you are my disciples if you have agape love for one another. Jesus said, all people will be able to measure your connection with me and your spiritual maturity in how you love one another. It's a defining marker in the life of those who say they belong to Jesus. Which is why John says in 1 John, If you do not love, you do not know God. Because God is love. So that this is not about, do I love those that are easy to love? This is about, is everyone in my life, those that are easy and those that are hard, are they saturated with love? Or are there some people who are love-starved because it's not abounding from me? And rather than becoming a river flowing with love, I've become a dam that stops it up. This is incredibly important. Paul prays for abounding love. Now, it is impossible to speak about agape love without 1 Corinthians 13. Impossible. Can't do it. How many of you had 1 Corinthians 13? Some portion of it read at your wedding. Just some some portion. Okay, those of you who didn't, I, I want to tell you, you got to get married again. Sorry, because... Uh, <laughs> I think it's like a Baptist rule you have to read (laughs) of this kid. No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is setting love as the supreme marker and the foundation of spiritual maturity. And as I read this, I want you to take note of everything Paul says comes under the preeminence of love. I want you to take note of every good thing Paul puts under the best thing of love. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not agape, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now he's going to tell us why this love comes first. He's going to show us the things that flow out of agape love. Verse 4, so love is patient. Agape love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Holy Spirit, do a work in my heart in that area. It is not irritable. Do a work in my heart in that area too. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This chapter is a 10 week sermon series, but it is unloving for a believer to find joy in someone else's struggle. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Agape love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now he's going to have a conversation about maturity. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, listen to this, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these, greater than faith, greater than hope, is love. Do you know the agape love of God? Has it transformed you? Is it transforming you? Is it abounding in you and pouring out through you? How do you know if you're abounding in love. Well, Paul said there are two things, two kind of markers, two markers of abounding love, and that is godly knowledge and spiritual discernment. Look at the rest of verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul wasn't just praying for... uh, Love, he was praying that there would be they would experience a love that would abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment. And you go, oh, I knew knowledge was important. I knew it was important to know stuff. Yes, it is. It's, it, it is important. But that, it, it's not the most important. That knowledge and that discernment come under the umbrella of love. Or the picture that works better for me is this. Love is the well. Love is the river. And knowledge and discernment are the streams that flow off of it. You know, for about five years, Carrie and I lived right beside the Mississippi River uh, in Mississippi, and um, they didn't, the Army Corps of Engineers, they took care of the levees and all of those things, but they also perpetually monitored the health of the river. They were always taking measurements to know if the river was healthy, and the primary way they measured the health of the river was not to get into the river, but to go get into the streams and the tributaries that came off the river. See, if those were low, if the water was too low or if that water wasn't clean, there was too much sediment or something like that, it was an indicator that something was unhealthy in the river. But when those streams were flowing and the crops that were feeding off those streams were green and healthy, it was an indicator that the river was healthy, that it was abounding. And the same is true for us. The presence of godly knowledge and spiritual discernment are indicators of the abounding love of God flowing through my life. So what is knowledge? It is this deepening, perpetually growing understanding of who God is and who I am and his word. It is, it is growing. I mean, it is, it is important to know God's word. It is important. David said, I hide your word in my heart because it helps me wage war on sin in my life. It is important to know God's word, but that comes under, that flows out of the river of having received the abounding love of God. And the more I know of God, the more my love abounds for him. Because the more I understand his love for me. And the more I love him, the more I want to know about him. It's the same in my marriage. When Carrie and I started dating, we didn't know a lot about one another. But the more time I spent with her, the more I wanted to know about her. And then, as a matter of fact, I decided at one point, I want to know everything. So I'm just going to marry this lady. And then spend the rest of my life discovering who she is. The more I've discovered, the more I love her. And the more I love her, the more I wanna know. How much more then should there be that cycle of knowing and growing in my relationship with God, that's knowledge, that desire to know. Well, what is discernment? What is spiritual discernment? It's the ability now to take that knowledge that I've discovered of God in his word and apply it in such a way that brings him glory. It's the ability to hear his voice and the voice of the Holy Spirit navigating me around good things and moving me toward what is the best thing. That's discernment. And Paul said it's the, the abounding love of God that feeds knowledge and discernment. And Paul knew these things had to be rooted in the love of God, which is why he says in 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge, essentially knowledge without love just puffs us up. But when knowledge comes under love, it builds us up. It's incredibly important. These are measures as to whether or not I am abounding in love, is, is there godly knowledge and spiritual discernment and here's what I've discovered and I bet you would agree that this is true the word love has absolutely been hijacked by our culture are you with me it has been hijacked right because I can love my wife and I can love a hot dog and that just doesn't make sense that we use the same word to describe how we feel about hot dogs and those closest to us right I just I'm just saying it's been hijacked it's messed up Uh, our, our culture tends to take that word and only use it to refer to the affections that we feel in the moment. Which is why even believers, even people in the church will say things like, love is blind. Just follow your heart. My least favorite, it makes the back of my head melt off. The heart wants what the heart wants. Listen, I'm not judging you if you've said that. I need you to just hear me say love is not blind and your heart cannot be trusted. Jeremiah says the human heart is desperate, is deceitful, deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can know it? We are called to love thoughtfully. We are called to love selflessly. We are called to love sacrificially, eyes wide open, seeing others for who they are and loving them in a way. Anyway, that's the abounding love of God. It is not closing my eyes and acting like they don't have faults. It's seeing their faults the way God saw my faults and still giving them love. That's what it is. It's not blind. It's eyes open. Let me fully know you and let me be fully known by you and let's still love one another. I cannot give that if I have not received that. And there's some of you in here this morning, and you know full well, you struggle to love brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot love your enemies, and I would ask you to certainly, truly wrestle. Have you received the transforming love of God? This is why Paul prays this first. This is the mark, the first mark, of spiritual maturity in a healthy church. It is abounding love. Here's the second one. A mature church is marked by increasing purity. Increasing, growing, more and more purity. Look at what he says in verse 10. Paul says, all this, this abounding love that is overflowing with knowledge and discernment is given to you, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. That word, so that, that's that's a purpose clause. Here's what it's doing. Here's why. Here's why I'm giving it. I want it to do this in you. Here's why. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That word approve is a really important word here. It's the word that describes the process that they would use to determine if coins were pure metal, if they were the pure metal silver or the pure gold or the pure copper that it was made of. It was a proving process, right? Just like now, back in that day, people would try to counterfeit coins and they would mix it with lesser metals to try to get more value by giving something that was worth less. And the process of testing that and determining its purity and it being genuine was to approve it. This is that word. And Paul says, I want you to overflow with knowledge fed by love. Overflow with discernment, fed by love, so that you can approve, test, affirm, and embrace what is excellent. In other words, so that you can know and pursue and love what God loves. That's, that's the point there. So that you can, this is an abounding love, increasing in knowledge and in discernment that is then growing my purity and marking me so that I can approve and know what is excellent and what it is that God loves. I love how Paul says this in Romans 12. Uh, two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul is talking about this transforming love of Christ that is, that is purifying us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, look at what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by this love that we've received, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. As Paul says, this is how you love God back. You've received this love. Here's how you love God. You present your body as a living sacrifice. And what does that do? Here's verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, which is to mean be, be becoming something new. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, what you know, That by testing, you may say this word, discern, discern, know what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says it is the transforming love of God abounding in us and through us that positions us to know what is excellent, what is best, what is God's will, what is worthy of praise and what is worthy of pursuit. And the life that is lived in this way, that is being transformed and purified by the love of God, is ultimately going to stand before Jesus pure and blameless. That word pure in the Greek is a very interesting word. It means to be sincere, unsullied, or to be found pure when held up to the light. That's what it means. Some translations of the Bible actually use the word sincere there. I think the King James uses sincere. I think uh, uh, the New American Standard uses the word sincere there. If you think about that English word, sincere, it actually comes from two Latin words, sine sera. Sine sera, which sounds a lot like sincere, right? Sine sera means without wax. If you're like me, you're going, hold on, wait a minute. Did Paul just say that he wants to be able to prove what is excellent and so be without wax. What is, what's happening right now, right? In the ancient days, uh, porcelain was a very important commodity. It was used to carve dishes and statues and all sorts of things. Porcelain was also fragile. And so when porcelain would break, uh, porcelain sellers and dealers would often take wax and they would mix it with sand and they would apply it to the crack or the break and they would do it in such a way that on first glance, it, wouldn't look like as, it would look as if the porcelain had never broken. But there was a test that you could do to determine if the porcelain was pure. And that is you would take it and you would hold it up to the sunlight. And the sunlight would come through that porcelain and it would reveal every little fracture and hairline crack. And where that wax and sand was would be cloudy rather than light coming And so a seller of porcelain, when he wanted you to know his porcelain was pure, he would say, this porcelain is sine sera. It is without wax. So let's, let's take hold of what Paul is saying here. Paul is praying for the abounding love of God. To overflow from our lives with knowledge and discernment so that we can know and approve and pursue what is excellent and what is of God. And when we are presented them before the throne of God, we are held up to the piercing light of his holiness. And we can be declared in that moment sine sera, pure, sincere, holy, even though we are being held up to the holy light of God. That's the work of the abounding love of God in your life. Paul is saying, the day is going to come. I want you to hear me, every person in this room, whether you're visiting today and you have no clue what Jesus is about or you've been walking with him since before you can remember, the day is coming when you will be held up to the light of God. The day is coming when every one of us are going to be held up to the piercing light of God's holiness. And the only thing that is going to declare you sine sera is the blood of Jesus on your life. That's it. Have you received the abounding love of God through Christ? That is, nothing else declares you pure. Nothing else will declare you blameless. Have you been transformed by the abundant love of God? We're marked by abounding love. We're marked by this increasing purity. Here's the last thing. A mature church is marked by fruit that glorifies God. It is marked by fruit that glorifies God. Here we're going to see in verse 11, Paul is... We're going to see that higher purpose of of Paul's prayer here for abounding love. Why is he praying this? He's praying this for a higher purpose. I'm going to read all these verses again and then we'll read through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is saying this is the kind of love that is the fruit of righteousness and by which God is glorified. Well, what is the fruit of righteousness? It's the fruit of my salvation. It's the fruit of God's work in me being brought out of me. It's the righteous character of Christ being produced in my life and the abounding love of Christ that has done something in me abounding from me producing fruit out of me that's the fruit of righteousness I said earlier there is no such thing as a stationary Christian you want to know why because the love of Christ is not stationary it's a producing love it's doing something in us it's working moving growing purifying refining it is doing a work in us it is producing something And believers who are in neutral aren't actually in neutral. You're actually moving away from the character of Christ. Because when you're walking in the abounding love, it's working and it's producing and you're becoming more like him. The love of Jesus for you is not stationary. Which means if you've received that, you are not stationary. It's producing something in you. Well, what are the... What are the fruits of righteousness? I think there's... Places you can look in God's Word all over the New Testament. Paul loved to list things. I love a good list. (laughs) Paul would list those things. Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit. is a great place to start um, for the fruit of righteousness. Here's what I find incredibly important. Can you tell me what the first fruit Paul lists is in Galatians 5? Fruit of the Spirits are, what's the first one? Love. Most biblical scholars say that Love is actually the singular most, is the primary fruit of the Spirit and everything Paul lists after that in Galatians 5 is actually what abounds from love. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love that then feeds your joy, your peace, patience, kindness, goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control. Fruit. fruit cannot produce itself. Fruit is born from a seed. And that seed that produces the fruit of righteousness is the seed of the abounding love of God. And that is what Paul is praying for the church, for them to grow up in their faith. Like everything else that we experience in this life with Jesus, the purpose of his love poured out in our hearts and abounding in our lives is so that God would be glorified. This is what Paul says. He says this righteousness, this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. By the way, God's glory is the purpose of all love. The love in your marriage is there to give glory to God. The love you have for your children, children to your parents exists to give glory to God. The love that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room with you right now, it exists for you to, to glorify God. And the way that we love those who are hard to love, that love exists to glorify God, why? because all of life is to glorify God. The reason we exist on this world is that you do not have a higher purpose on planet Earth in this short little whisper of a vapor of a life that you have other than to glorify God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, so whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all. The Greek of all is all, everything, to the glory of God. So we've been been given this test then, to know if our love for God and our love for others is really abounding. Is it abounding in knowledge? Is it abounding in discernment? Is it helping us approve what is excellent? Is it leading us to the will of God? Is it bringing an increasing purity in our life? There's a way we can test and that is this. Does your love bring glory to Jesus? are the people that you love learning how to love God more because you love them. That's the test. Again, I want you to hear me say you cannot abound in a love you aren't being transformed by. Have you received the transforming love of God? Has He taken transforming means I've I've ceased being one thing and I've entered into a process of becoming something new. Has that happened for you? And you guys hear me say this all the time, but I'm not asking, did you grow up in church? Can I tell you something? I hope you did, but I don't really care about that. I'm not asking even if you said some words at some point in your life, and you're trying to remember if that was really the time that that maybe when I said those words, maybe I guess, I'm asking, has there been a moment where you've received the transforming love of God and you can mark that moment as the moment you ceased being one thing and you began the process of, that process isn't perfect. We still struggle. We still got sin in our life. We're still working to put the old man to death as we become the new. But you begin the process of becoming new and you can look at that day and go, that's the day I received the abounding love of God. Have that happened. Because if it, ha- it has not happened, if it hasn't happened, then everything Paul prayed after he prayed for love cannot be true in your life. Your knowledge doesn't matter. You can have more Bible memorized than Billy Graham, and it doesn't matter if you've not received the love of God. Which means in a moment, we're going to stand up. And Philip and our team are gonna start leading us in a song about the love of God. And the moment that first note comes out, you need to step out, you need to come grab one of our pastors or ministers by the hand and go, I'm done playing this game. I'm ready for the transforming love of God. I need salvation today. I need to receive that love that was given for me through Christ. Maybe this morning you need to acknowledge just through a time of confession and repentance, That the love that should be producing righteous fruit is not. That the love that should be abounding out of your life and saturating everybody around you, is, it's not. That you've mis- mismeasured what it means to be spiritually mature and you're swinging your maturity on what you know, not in the love that's, being tra- that's transforming who you are. Maybe this morning you just need to come and you just need to confess or even sit while Philip sings. You just sit down and go, God, I, I need to repent I need a fresh understanding, a fresh experience of your love. Maybe it's that for you this morning. Maybe you need to take the next step in your journey of faith with Jesus and be baptized or discover what it means to link into covenant membership with a church and have this place where you belong where we can discover the love of God together. Maybe you've put aside your spiritual breathing and you haven't been praying. Whatever you need to do in the next few moments, we would love to do that with you. So let's stand, let's pray, and then we'll respond. Father, I just pray that your love would abound in this room and into our hearts. And for those who have not received it, let this be the moment that they come and receive the abounding love of God. So Father, help us to be obedient right now. Holy Spirit, don't let us go. Don't let us get distracted. Help us to be laser-focused on what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. From the darkness I called your name into darkness, your mercy came, you called me out.